You're listening to Bits and Pieces on Sunrise Robot. I'm one of your hosts, Matt Duncan, out of Gelsenkirchen, Germany. And I'm Mike Edwards, out of Denver, Colorado. And we thrive on the support of our listeners, so please check out sunriserobot.net slash support to see some ways you can help us out. So for episode 11, we're going to start with just a little bit of follow-up. I mean, last time we talked about Tidal, the new... Yeah, the new music streaming service on the playground here, and they're trying to make a name for themselves. But yeah, last time we we dissected this thing a little bit, <laughs> and let's say we're not really convinced. <laughs> yeah, they made it to the title of our episode because I was like, well, if they trick people into liking Lossless and they have to drop prices, then I'll benefit by not buying Lossless. But uh, we'll see. <laughs> Um, yet another streaming service. Yeah, uh, but but the main concern was like other than the lossless uh, thing, how how can they get people to to actually join the service, or what do they have that's better or just different than others? And so in this article, they're talking about um, yes, they so they checked out the the service right after launch, and they more or less found eight interesting things there. Eight a one digit number. <laughs> and um well some something I, I, that really struck out to me was this one part that I, i'm just gonna read this one so rihanna dropped bitch better have my money on march 26 so four days prior to the launch of title even though she is co-owner of title and could have waited to use her new song as leverage for the new service and I think that speaks volumes. <laughs> yeah, she, she. the success of the single was more important than this new music service. <laughs> yeah. Even even she or, or her managers or whoever made that decision didn't really put any trust in that. Or I don't know, maybe it's because the release was planned a year in advance and they really wanted this one um, um, this one way. Or as we found out a few episodes back, I mean, uh, March 26th, let me just quickly look in my calendar. Oh, right, right. That's, that's, that's the Thursday. I thought Friday was the official launch. Yeah. Day. What's going on here? <laughs> I feel betrayed now. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, that is kind of not a, not a strong vote of confidence if, you know, some of the owners of your new service aren't willing to put their own, their own stuff behind it and not just like, yeah. Oh yeah, I'm a co-owner, but like the actual product, you know, Rihanna is a very, very popular artist. <laughs> like you, you want exclusives like that on your service. Yeah. But I, I guess they didn't really want to make that thing exclusive or otherwise, yeah, they wouldn't have had mu that much, I guess, revenue what, <laughs> for people was, listening, press. Was Rihanna, that. was bitch, Better have my money. Um, was that exclusive anywhere else? Was it like an iTunes release or something, or is it just everywhere? Probably. I, I'm. I'm gonna look that up, but I. I would bet that it's everywhere. I mean, record stores, iTunes. Mine. Why wouldn't you do it? Why wouldn't you? If you're. If you're in it for the money, and bitch, better have my money. <laughs> Another line here. Um, it's telling too that none of Tidal's co-owners use the launch day as an opportunity to share new music, even though at least two of those artists, Rihanna and Kanye, have albums ready to drop right now. So. Yeah, and I'm imagine with someone like Kanye West, who who always makes bold moves and has a following that would follow him everywhere he goes. He, he could have done it. I mean, he he could have done it. He could have made the decision himself, probably. 
and maybe it would have worked but yeah even he didn't do it so yeah i'm not really convinced that uh if if they don't if, if they're not really behind the service why should i as a user yeah so we do have a topic here today new to the show not just follow up um of just kind of talking about artists that take on a visual aesthetic um wearing costumes paint masks um, various uh, maybe their instruments are dressed up or their special decorations on stage and uh, kind of just you know let's let's talk through this you know what what are the benefits to your show the th- theatricality when has it gone wrong or gone too far um, and, and just like how does it play out in different genres so you want to take us through some of these yeah so um the, f- the first band for me that comes to mind a great influence in my music although it's probably not really that uh, apparent upon first listen is that I, I I'm a really big Guar fan and obviously Guar has a as I would say it's fifty percent music it's fifty percent visuals although both of those a hundred percent I don't know if that makes sense mathematically but um, th- they're not skimping on any of those aspects but uh, yeah the visuals are really important for them so it, I mean it started out as as a punk rock band where one of the one of his friends made a a movie about space aliens and yeah space aliens and and it kind of merged into this this monster of 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 music and visuals in in, in theatrical uh, performances and obviously so there there's there's a big part to it and i mean the there there are five musicians they're usually five or at least in recent times they've been six i think they have another female vocalist now like they had in the 90s but there's at least that amount of people in the background working on those costumes doing doing work on stage like performances and and playing different characters so there's a lot of going on everywhere it's not just the music yeah and I mean, and just given the history of, of costumes, and we'll we'll talk about some other very famous examples as we go through this list. Um, it, it's a popular thing with a lot of bands. It it, it plays it, it pays off. It, it plays off like keyboard cat. Um, and you know, can you think of any examples of like, ooh, shouldn't have done that? Like, I mean, I guess people might think of Lottie. like... Lottie. yeah, or or lady. <laughs> as a guelph, and I have to say, Lottie. Some of Lady Gaga's costumes or Bjork are kind of famously ridiculous yeah. to some people. Um, but I mean, you know, in the example of Bjork, it's kind of just her thing to be ridiculous. So um, people kind of <laughs> love it anyway. Um, so I don't know. I mean, it's hard to talk about this without bringing up Devo because who doesn't, you know, see the energy dome, which I've got one here. If we were a video show, I'd get it out and actually show it to to the audience. But you'll have to pretend you're hearing my energy dome. <laughs> and just the, yeah, Devo used it to great effect. I mean, all their stuff was just anything but normal. Everything's weird. Everything is celebrated weirdness and, and, um, kind of turning things on their head. And, um, so Devo's a great example. Um, Kraftwerk had a, definitely a, a very distinct aesthetic. Yeah. And I'm thinking mainly, I mean, they still have this. That's true. Um, l- looking at live shows from a few years ago, I mean, the thing is that even that one of the four guys live only does visuals, I think. So uh, I, that that also uh, says a lot about them that a quarter of the band just uh, doing visuals live. That's that's 
Yeah, that's great. And, and I mean, <laughs> I like that. who doesn't love their the the We Are the Robots music video or uh, um, just the way that they they look like androids or robots in that in that <laughs> video? And um, didn't they weren't they one of the first um, music videos with computer animation? I um, think they were. Yeah. Um, they definitely are very, very early in that, um, doing a completely computer animated video, um, which will look like really bad polygons now, but was, was very, very interesting <laughs> then. And I mean, it still has artistic merit and nostalgia goggles in full force. Um, some other examples that come to mind to me, um, you, you have to bring up the village people, um, just to represent disco and, um, and that's just like, rather than sort of, developing a, a, a new aesthetic or some kind of futuristic thing like a lot of these are kind of weirdly futuristic or weirdly yeah space age um, or otherworldly yeah village people are like no we're just like almost like a children's book that's telling them about <laughs> roles in society it's like <laughs> here's a fireman here's a policeman here's <laughs> um just just ridiculously garish halloween costumes <laughs> yeah yeah and at the same time you can say there's some some kind of message also in there that they're trying to transport yeah. while with the others it's mostly the aesthetic that it's about just like l- 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 look like this this is how we look while with the village people it'd be like yeah this this is why we look like this yeah and then i mean for more modern examples you got to bring up the house and dance uh, artists like daft punk and, and dead mouse um who you know very 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 distinctive costumes and you know, Daft Punk kind of and Dead Mouse both kind of play that like you never see my face. I I am always this character. I'm always under the helmet. Yeah, and I well, mean for Daft Punk at least, I, I think Dead Mouse is is that's pretty true. open. Uh, I, I've seen some of his live streams where yeah, you can see him. I mean, I wouldn't want to sit with that face on. Yeah, if you, if you try to find pictures of the Daft Punk guys, it's like yeah, when they're in high school. And then yeah. <laughs> there's not much else. Always snap the pictures at the 1992 uh, um, like party in France in some weird backyard of a friend. <laughs> yeah, some selfie from another era. Yeah. <laughs> and tell me about this last one here. I wouldn't say I was forced to bring this up, but uh, as I was talking to, to some friends about this, uh, Super Eternus and the Ensemble of Shadows came up. Now it's it's from it's from the 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 corner the, the gothic corner so obviously in in everything gothic is also very visual but uh Sopoiternus is is yeah kind of itself um we're going to link some the, the photos I they've got a nice gallery here on Last FM and uh it's it's really surreal I would say and um it it transports of course it transports the the, the the theme very well i mean it's gothic it's dark wave it has to be like a little bit shocking i mean some of those pictures i i find it a bit more interesting that if like let's say marilyn manson would have done a photo photos like this yeah um it's it has something something else to it i mean maybe you can attribute that to to german art aesthetics so super is from germany and um but yeah, it's it's this thing where uh, why why I came up with this topic is um, like artists where you just can't um, separate the visuals from 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 the 
audio experience so of course i can listen to guar but if i listen to guar i always have that image in my mind just as well as with craftwerk yeah. devo and the all the others and sopranos as well so you can't listen to them and not think about the visuals while with most bands i mean i can picture their faces maybe if uh if i'm listening but th that's where it ends mostly or yeah. like the guitar if i know oh yeah that that one guy from that band he's please playing that awesome yeah. guitar but That's those, where it those stops. Damn sunglasses on Bono's face, but <laughs> um, <laughs> or, or like the ninety thousand bands that are like, hey, we, we're all wearing a suit on stage. Look at how creative we are. <laughs> We've gone corporate. Um, <laughs> yeah, and you know, I I'm not a fan of Kiss, but I couldn't hear a Kiss song and not picture the, the crazy face paint, the you know, super long tongue hanging out of his mouth, like any of that, like. Um, it's just, it is inseparable and, um, it's not really something that I think about when a band doesn't do it. Like if a band is just kind of dressed casually, whatever, and, and they play good music, like I'm not, it doesn't usually occur to me to be like, man, you guys should get some costumes, but, um, it definitely works in, in favor when you, when you take care and build up an aesthetic and actually kind of do something right. Um, but it, it seems like you, you want to worry about the middle ground of like, why are you dressed up like that? You're not really selling it or like you didn't own it. And you're just kind of like, Oh, that's funny. You, you put a funny hat on, but what? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You really got to live it. You, you got to transport this thing and, and make a brand out of it. Like, of course, visuals are also a brand thing. Like, you have, you have your sound, your your distinctive sound as a band or as an artist, and then you can you can put some visuals to that. That's also that's always great for branding. But you really have to own it. You really have to yeah. be able to transport that and not be like, oh, this. Uh, yeah, it's. It, I guess that's one thing that would be really hard to fake if you were forced to do it. Yeah, and I just thought of another example um, from the last uh, pseudo show episode with Robert DeLong. Um, his live show, so he ha he has kind of a logo like these. It, there's these, these sort of an X pattern um, symbols crossing each other, and um, so he, his face gets painted before he performs. But there's also free face painting for anyone who shows up at the show. So they kind of mark anyone there, and they'll they'll you know it's not all identical. They they paint all sorts of things on everyone's faces, but it's that solidarity kind of that gets built in the crowd of like, yeah, we're all here for Robbie, and we're all kind of painted up to have a party yeah, here, cool. and <laughs> uh, and you know I, I've I've seen him twice as he's come through Denver and uh, gotten to hang out, and just seeing that every time I'm like, yeah, that makes a lot of sense to get people to identify with your music. You're you're literally marking them with your symbols yeah. and your in your aesthetic. And so they become bearers of your image. And um, I'm, I'm making it sound like creepy or something like they're mind controlling. But, you know, I mean, that that can be very powerful when people not only like your music, but they they want to participate in, in your image and in your aesthetic. Yeah. And that's also one part uh, going back to war, which which they do. I mean, it doesn't really stop with their antics on stage. I mean, they're spraying the audience with fake blood and other body <laughs> fluids. And so once you, you step out of the venue, you're soaked in, in, in everything. And uh, it's it's usually you go to a war concert in the white T-shirt just to come out with a red one. And <laughs> I have two of those still. And... Uh, 
So like a special tie dye machine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I remember the 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 first time I I was at a Gua concert. Um, that it was a I think it was a Sunday night, and we came back so late that I really just fell on the sofa and and slept for two hours until I had to go to school, and I was so yeah i was so sleepy i really didn't notice anything i just got my bag went to school until the first uh, friend of mine uh just stopped me on on, on the school grounds and said why are you looking like that <laughs> yeah so i, I changed my t-shirt of course but i was still more or less soaked in blood and i, and I remember a teacher coming to me in class like asking was there was there something going on is there is everything all right just this the same thing i was working on, on on some i don't know math problems problems or something i didn't really <laughs> notice this and it's like no why why should oh oh i know what you mean oh i'm sorry yeah <laughs> and uh yeah so um a lot of people got to know about guar that day <laughs> that that's the kind of branding that you can do but i wouldn't really do that myself with my band <laughs> yeah but i mean it is something I think artists eventually ponder like, is there something I want to try to do <laughs> beyond making the songs to to make your mark and and get something memorable out there? And um, costumes or or you know spraying your audience with blood are are are, are two very prominent strategies. And uh, you know it's, it's it's fun to think about that because I mean on some level you, some artists may like at first blush just be like, oh that's dumb. Why would you do that? And um, I think we have plenty of very, very creative examples to say, no, that's a totally valid arena to, to play in as an artist. And, um, you know, whether you actually do anything theatrical with it or if it's just sort of a, um, the wallpaper and the aesthetic surrounding you while you, you plainly play your music. Um, I even remember seeing Andrew Bird and, you know, he wasn't costumed or anything, but, um, he had these giant, um, phonograph, like, like, brass speaker i don't i don't know how to describe exactly what i mean um like like an old-timey record player had like the big um opening (laughs) place sound i sound like an i sound like an idiot right now but anyway he had that they had two of those on stage and they would rotate and he would get a tremolo effect because there was a mic pointing at and then as the speaker would face the mic in its spin it would occasionally project sound into the mic and so he had like this physical in the room tremolo machine um based on pointing a mic at a spinning speaker so um it just had a really neat effect and it was it was more than just oh i've got a tremolo pedal it was i've got this visually rotating tremolo machine a rotary speaker yeah there it is (laughs) um so you know, it goes beyond like dressing up. It, it, it's 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 something you're doing anyway, even if you're not in a costume. You're normcore, I guess. Um, <laughs> so uh, everyone has to contend with that at some point. Um, so I think I think we covered that topic pretty well. I'm sure there's more to say. Definitely follow up if you got great examples of um, artists. You know, especially lesser known ones that are doing something really interesting visually. We'd love to hear about it. And we can follow up on that in future weeks. Um, so tell me about this this new DAW. 
Yeah, so I'm I'm always on the lookout for for some new stuff to fiddle around with. Although I'm I'm very cemented here in in using Ableton for everything I do. I, I'm still always looking at what what other people are doing and other software that's that's yeah taking a new spin on on the digital audio uh, workstation. Um, and so I I found this this uh, Modulins, a modular DAW more or less. And at at first look, it reminded me of of the things you can do in Max MSP. So what you can do is like you have all these little devices and you connect them with virtual cables. So it's it's yeah, uh, like like a modular synthesizer would be would be hooked up to, with with cables. You can do that here and place them visually and see where the the audio is flowing or just the signals are flowing. It doesn't really have to be audio. It can also be MIDI and a mix of those two. And then you can like um. Yeah, put together your instruments like Lego blocks and then yeah, switch to a different view where you can yeah, like in a traditional DAW place your tracks, place the instruments and the recordings. Um but it it really has something like like Ableton has, but in a non-linear way. So in Ableton you can hook up devices like daisy chain them, but here you can actually do a lot more complex routings and that that looks pretty interesting. Um, what what really got me though was uh, this one part where they say you can build your own modules, which they are calling these um, in C. So that's something I always wanted to do with with Ableton or just in general. Um, Ableton comes with Max MSP uh, or Max for Life, where you can uh, yeah click together devices, but you're not really programming with code, and that's something I always wanted to do because I find it to be I I, I can think more in code than i can in yeah. uh, in in virtual cables and i mean see cuz uh, the the amateur coder might kind of balk at first if you're used to like some really high level interpreted language you're like why isn't it python or ruby um but you know there's a very good reason in audio because in audio you really care about performance and latency and and C is much more closer to the metal than these newer fancy easy languages, and uh, and then they say that here on this marketing page. I didn't notice that when I was looking at this um, link earlier that it has an actual programming component, and that is really badass that you can literally code straight into this. Yeah, and as you just said, um, it, it makes sense also to use C because what we're working here is mostly. Yeah, integers and floats, and and that there's not really any more to audio signals or MIDI signals. So you don't really need all those uh, dictionaries of from Python or whatever Ruby and Perl yeah. have got going. Yeah, you're not string manipulation is what Ruby's. Pretty yeah, good for. it it makes it makes sense that that you're only doing mostly math and and some some functions that are that are coming with with. Uh, with this, I, I guess they they have a library, so you don't really have to reinvent the the low pass filter yourself. <laughs> but um, I I find it interesting because I yeah, as I said, I really want also always wanted to to like make my own devices or plugins. But really, programming VST plugins, I yeah, that was, I I kind of delved into that one time. Maybe I was too stupid back then. Where you should look back into it again. But uh, it. <laughs> It was hard to get into, and this looks like oh, just pop up a a little uh, console here or the the module designer, what they call it, and just program away and hit execute, and there you go, there's your sound. Yeah, well, I, I like just looking at this program, and I haven't tried it yet, so I actually need to vet this. But 
Um, it looks like it spans the gamut from the person who kind of just wants an, an inviting GUI to, to plug and play and click and drag things around and experiment um, versus the person who wants to kind of dig deep and, and create something at the code level. And it looks like this spans that very nicely. And I watched uh, part of it. They have like 10 minutes of sample joy and then they'll just, it's just 10 minutes of a guy playing around with, you know, he plays a guitar sample and he just messes with it in all these different ways for several minutes. And it kind of gives you a nice little peek at how easy it is to, to mess with in this software. And no, I, I love seeing the evolution of, of music making software on computers and, um, you know, maybe we'll have to return to that stupid article over and over that said like, oh, you didn't record a guitar. It's not real music. And just be like, you know, the computer is an instrument now. It's been an instrument for a long time, but you need to see that it is even more so now. Yeah. So I'm, maybe I'm going to give this, this a spin. Um, I think they have a trial version on there mm -hmm. and, uh, see if I can code some things out of that because yeah as I said I mean uh, just hooking up things with virtual cables I, I really want to get into how, how hard is it to program this stuff and yeah maybe it will get me hooked and yeah I'm, I'm, I can program some music for myself <laughs> okay so we've got a, another little topic right here so um, talking about live albums um, to, today I listened to, to some Spotify songs on Shuffle and yeah, in my playlist somewhere, I've got just a bunch of live tracks, and of course they stick out a bit because it starts with a uh, with an audience <laughs> cheering, and, and the most mixed difference. So you know, just when it's a live recording. But um, yeah, I was thinking about if 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 bands release a live album, um, yeah, how do you see that? Do you see that as equal to a studio album? I mean, of course, if they're only playing songs that they've already released, that's that's maybe an easy answer to give there but um sometimes they they spice it up with some variations or i, I especially like it when they sake between songs but yeah w what do you think about laugh albums in so and when i first saw this topic and was thinking about it I, my gut reaction was to kind of just complain about like oh live albums are lame <laughs> but then you know right as soon as that thought finished going through my head I immediately different live versions of songs popped up in my head of like really really great live performances um, Radiohead's Idiotake um, there's a live version of that that is just so good and, and it's very similar to the album version and the album version is also very good but um, there's just something about it something about the energy of it that you know, when that song blows up and uh, more and more gets layered in and you just feel the energy of the room. And even though you're listening to a recording of it, um, there's just something special about it. And um, I won't spoil it yet, but my pick of the week um, was chosen thinking about this topic because um, it was uh, it'll be an example of a song where the live version is phenomenally better than the album version. And I think that sometimes happens, too, where you know, whatever, whatever happened in the studio kind of sterilized, you know, the song. And sometimes, uh, an artist song really comes alive. Ha ha comes alive. Um, so I found myself, my gut reaction was to complain about live albums and then I just couldn't help but think of all these counter examples. So, um, I think they're good. I don't think I, I don't seek them out or, or buy live albums or, um, but I, I do think they bring something special and, and it's it's good that they exist. I also think that 
with, with uh, YouTube being ubiquitous right now and, and everybody releasing their music also on YouTube and a lot of live performances being uploaded there, not just from cell phones, but really professionally recorded and not just ripped from any DVDs, but really specially recorded for yeah, loading, uploading them to YouTube from mostly radio stations. I know Radio K and KEXP really like to upload their radio performances. Um, th that's a niche in and of itself. And, uh, maybe the live album has gone back into the background again because, yeah, you, I can just check out YouTube for, for five live performances of the, yeah, one of the same so song. So the, the special live album maybe is kind of yeah. silly now, but live performances are, are alive and well and everywhere. Yeah, and they're consumed everywhere. And yeah, I really love it when 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 bands do something different. I mean, I know from myself that I try to replicate my my songs as close as possible live. And then when I'm done, I think, yeah, but uh, okay, now they can just play the album and that's it. So then that's the point where I start thinking about, okay, where can I mix things up again? And and I like it when artists do that. So it's not as not just as the audience when I when I go and see them live that there's something surprising there. Yeah. And, but also when I when I come back and say, hey, this this variation, I like this one, or I love 15 Steps with a marching band from Radiohead. And uh, today I'm going to listen to this version. It's it's always great to have some variety, and it's it's kind of a remix yeah. culture that's 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 springing from that a live remix, so to speak. And then. one of the things I hear a lot in live versions is the, the band kind of like, especially if it's one of their like famous hits, they kind of want to surprise the audience a little bit, like when they finally go into the memorable first part of the song or something. And so in a lot of live versions, there's some kind of build up or, you know, some other musical interludes. And then when they finally start hitting, you know, the bass line or the, you know, whatever iconic thing brings the song in, it, it really builds the crowd up. And sometimes that's just a, a fun energy to hear um, as they go into the song you already know you like. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, and another aspect, for me as a musician and I, and I I think it's probably going to be the same for you is that when when they're playing live there there are not all those bells and whistles from the studio like four guitar tracks although the band only has two <laughs> guitarists is that you can really hear and and sometimes even see when when you're lucky and the camera is close on on the guitar or the piano or the keyboard is that you can really see how they are producing those sounds like I I actively seeked out YouTube videos of when when I try to learn a lot of when I tried to learn a lot of block party songs, I saw, I seeked out videos, um, of, of them playing live and try to see, are they playing it the same way I am? I mean, I know I'm playing the right melody, but I, are they on the same string and which delay pedal is yeah. you using there? And it's, it's always nice to find out like the little tricks that you can't really see, um, from, from the studio because everything's processed to hell and <laughs> not that it's a bad thing, but you can't really discern any, a lot of things out of that. Unless you know they're only exclusively using the gear, the gear that's in front yeah. of them, and not something something in the you computer. also hear like if they had to pare down, like you're in your example, there's no longer four guitars. Um, you you hear yeah. what they considered to be the core parts of the song, and sometimes that's different than the way you heard it on the album. You're like, oh, I thought that little extra thing was essential, and they. They cut it from the live version and that, that thing doesn't play and it's like, oh no. Um, or sometimes it's right on and yeah. you're like, oh yeah, you cut that fluff, but the, the heart of it's still here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or uh, sometimes when the, the singer who's also a guitarist has to play a, 
uh, a melody line or a rhythm that's a little bit easier because he can't <laughs> sing at the same time. I, I always find that a bit funny. And uh, yeah, yeah. And sometimes there are artists who 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 can actually make the full sound from the album and replicate it by by using loop pedals. And I've seen that a lot, where where they are like building up an ostinato in in the loop pedal, and then they then they go into the song and and yeah then you don't have anything missing there i mean if we're working with computers that's easy to do but i i wouldn't go i wouldn't go so far and i mean i you sometimes use backup guitar tracks in in my songs in my live performances but they usually just like some power chords in the background that i could also i could also mute them but i, I just want the energy but it's not some life important melody yeah. that i'm muting there or having played back so the important melodies are always performed live, but yeah, seeing Block Party live and then having one of the guitars played back from 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 a tape or from a CD that that would be awkward. Yeah. <laughs> so you just mentioned looping, and that's a, another topic we have here. Uh, just a nice example of uh, using a looping pedal live, and um, I watched this with a, an air of skepticism. So this is sparked by Mike Love. <laughs> Um, is this song called Permanent Holiday? Yeah, and uh, I, I discovered that through Reddit, and yeah, I also was was watching that. Like, okay, so what is he trying to do there? Oh, I th I think I know where this is going, and then where it ended up, where it was going, it was amazing. And yeah. it, um, you you kind of said something before we start recording about uh, yeah, bear with me. Th this is going to be amazing in a few minutes. And <laughs> That's every looping pedal artist is yeah. like, just give me a minute, guys. <laughs> yeah, and that this video is the prime example, but it, it pays off, actually. Yeah, it's actually worth it. And I mean, I don't want to spoil it, but I mean, you got to give some people something to go on to want to check this video out. And so he starts off just with like these these isolated words, and he speaks them very short, very snippy with his words and like just syllables. Yeah, and uh, he's he's building the lyrics out with a looping pedal, and he's adding the different syllables and the different words at separate passes through the entire section of the song and um it's it has this neat effect that kind of emerges over time where you start to get more and more of what he's saying and uh, the meaning of the song emerges slowly and so you know first for a looping pedal that's that's wonderfully poetic to have the words kind of emerge that way and not just the music so i really enjoy that it's it's very uh it's like looping pedal progressive reggae kind of <laughs> Yeah, and I, and I also like to to incorporate loop machines, and that that's that's like the main problem there. I wish I could do everything live and play everything into a loop machine because I mean the technology is here, but um, I can't have a song that's usually five minutes long be ten minutes long because the first three minutes are all build up, and then in between I have to build up a new to a new section. So you always have to 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 check to like. Okay, so which part am I just going to have playback, and which part am I going to loop live? And the thing is that um, once you're doing complicated, I would say electro music, people probably am not really going to notice it anyway. So um, I, I watched a a live video of of um, of Robert DeLong that you interviewed on the last pseudo show. And that that's the same thing that struck me there. So I, I you could see which part he was playing live and which part he was just playback. And um 
it was still amazing how how he handled all those different instruments and effects and while singing and completely uh not missing a beat there um but there's still some parts that are playback and i i'm sure he would be like if i had the ability i would play those as well but there's just a limit to how much you can do at a time mm-hmm. and um you, you can you can somehow solve this with loop machines but not quite because there's always going to be some build-up um, I mean, if you're only one person, if I, I would really love to see a band with four loop loop machines. <laughs> I mean, Battles Battles has uh, when there were four people with Tyone Braxton, they had like three loop machines, and that would that would work that worked very well. But even they still had some build up in their songs because otherwise it wouldn't have worked. Yeah. Otherwise, it is just playback because you didn't see them build it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It is weird little double standard there, but so maybe we can move on to our picks of the week now. And I, I think I'll tackle first since mine's related to the live album topic. So, um, normally we try to kind of aim for lesser known, you know, try to actually expose our listeners to, to new stuff. Um, but this week, just given the topic of live albums and, um, you know, how they relate to the, the album recordings, I went with a talking head song and this is, I'm, I'm not super deep into their whole discography. I don't know most of their songs, but this song has always stood out to me. It's it's always been one of my favorites. And, um, you know, the first time I heard it, it just grabbed hold of me. And I, I love the lyrics and I love the, the melodies in it. And it's called This Must Be The Place. And let's just check it out. So what I loved about this song um, and thought of it because of our topics today is uh, it's really an example where the live recording, this specific live recording from their their live album called Stop Making Sense um, is far superior to the original album recording. And if you go and check out the album version, it's just kind of, you know, it was recorded in the 70s and maybe they didn't have access to a good studio or, or, or as good as they eventually got to. Um, and it's just kind of tinny and kind of weak and just kind of, um, almost impotent to me. And, uh, this, this live version just really comes alive and you get, um, you know, uh, David, what's his name? Um, God, I forgot his name just a second. The, the talking heads guy, David Byrne. Um, uh, he, you know, his famous, you know, little dancing with the lamp and kind of leaning it around and, you know, it's weird dancing and, you know, everything's weird about talking heads, but, um, this, this whole song just, you know, it's, it's one of those songs that's like one chord progression that just goes the entire time and they just sing different melodies and layer different things over it. But, um, yeah, I don't, I'm kind of talking to myself in circles. It's a good song and, <laughs> and the live version is better than the album version. Um, I don't know. Do you have any thoughts about this song? Um, I don't know the album version. I only listened to to the live version that you linked, and um, I thoroughly enjoyed it. And also now I I think I know where Folds got their guitar rhythms from. I, I really like those those little slightly muted high pitched uh, gu- guitar melodies. 
and and also in in this case which we were talking before loop stations i really hope that they had this this synth arpeggio that starts in the beginning and ends at the end of the song played with a with a with a loop machine or something because i don't want to be the keyboarder to play that whole song <laughs> so what was your pick of the week so my pick of the week is Akron Family and the song River. And um, I picked it because, um, I don't know, something, I don't really remember what it was, but something you said after our last recording sparked me to, to choose that song and reminded me of it. And um, it's it's one of the cases where it's a genre, I would say, that I'm not really listening to all that much. Um, those, those, yeah, folky folk tunes, <laughs> but, but there's, I mean, great songs and great melodies and great rhythms. They, they just transcend genres. So it, it doesn't really matter which genre this, this song would have been performed in. Um, I mean, I wouldn't have listened to the screamo version, but, um, <laughs> it, it's just a great song. Everything is in its place and everything has its, has its purpose. And, um, I'm just gonna gonna play a little part of it right here. All right. So, what did you think of the song? So, this song is is good. Uh, there's some uh, nice layering in there. My favorite thing about it was probably the the, the kind of semi lo-fi aesthetic to some of the the recording production. Um, just satisfyingly pieced together. Um, there's a a part of the song where like the snare kind of comes in with some like marching drum beats and um, the guitars. Uh, I think I'd characterize them as like they're kind of chasing each other around the melodies or or um, you know later in the song there's a whole bunch of instruments and maybe some voices um, chasing up the scale or up up the chords and uh, they're all kind of bouncing with each other up and it's just very energetic and very pleasing to hear and it's not like perfect it's not like Bach where it's like exact arpeggios like being performed precisely it's it's got kind of that sloppy you know a good sloppy kind of lo-fi feel so I um, really enjoyed that. And I think there's a live version out there somewhere, so <laughs> go look for it. And it's probably going to be better now. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and there we have it with episode 11 of Bits and Pieces. Check out the show notes for links to everything we talked about at sunriserobot.net slash bits and pieces slash 11. And we love feedback and we're on Twitter, so tweet at us. My name is Mike Edwards out of Denver, Colorado, and my Twitter account is at Music. And Matt, you can find at Echolox, E-C-H-O-L-O-X. And uh, as always, if you want to catch new episodes automatically, use your smartphone and subscribe. Uh, just install a podcast app such as Pocket Cast, or what's the one you use on Android? Uh, podcast Addict. Podcast Addict is another good one. Or if you're on iOS, uh, your phone came with a podcast app, so you can just use that. And uh, just, just head to our website, sunriserobot.net, and use the RSS button and... Uh, 
you know, pop over in your podcast app and, and subscribe. And that way every new, every Wednesday you'll get a new episode automatically delivered to your phone. Then you just hit play and experience the goodness. Um, you can also rate and review us on iTunes. Uh, ratings and reviews really help us out, get the word out, and kind of boost us in the iTunes store. Even though many of you probably hate iTunes, um, just getting ratings and reviews is, is, is really helpful to us on the podcast. And if you want to support us directly and uh, uh, with monetary funds and help us keep the lights on in producing the show, you can head to our Patreon. So patreon.com slash sunrise robot. And uh, depending on the level you support us at, we'll actually say your name and give you special thanks. And with that, uh, I would say special thanks to Bruce Edwards for being one of our Patreon supporters. There it is. We'll see you next week. <laughs>